Welcome back. Legal drama. Former President Donald Trump is in hot water right now amid talks of a pending indictment from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office over hush money payments he allegedly made in the lead up to the 2016 election. We'll talk about the facts of the case, the ramifications of an indictment, how both sides are prepping, and where else things might unfold. Plus, I'll sit down with District 211 school board member Peter Dombrowski to talk about his upcoming election, his position on the biggest issues, and his plans for the upcoming term. We'll be taking a look at those stories and more today, March 24th, 2023. From Ishan Media, this is the Ishan S Show a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics. With me, your host, Ishan. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Ishan S. Show. We're so happy to have you back on. Uh, We have a lot to cover, but before we do, just a few housekeeping notes. I've been gone again, and as you know, It's just because I run a podcast, we are trying to get interview after interview. We're trying to manage a few things. We're exploring new things. So managing a podcast schedule that's consistent every week is a laborious task, but we try our best here at the Sean S. Show to try to get you a good quality episode. Maybe not lately, but we're trying hard. Uh, But I'm very excited this week to share a great quality episode. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about the upcoming topic, and I'm also very excited to share my interview with District 211 board member Peter Dombrowski. Um, We talked about his career, his election that's coming up, and his plans uh, for the next term. So we have a lot to uncover and a lot to talk about. Uh, Mr. Dombrowski's interview is going to be after the break, so stay tuned for that. But let's jump into today's top story. So President Donald Trump, you know, he makes his way onto these episodes some way or the other in some interesting way. One of the biggest guys in a modern American politics, obviously no surprise there. Now, what's interesting is that today we're talking about him and his legal dramas, his legal issues. Um, we've talked about Trump's legal um legal muddy water before uh i remember we were talking about his issues with the department of justice his issues with facebook and twitter after they banned him which have been lifted by the way um but there's a lot that's been going on but this story i think is arguably the biggest piece of news that we've gotten regarding trump's legal issues because on saturday uh last week of last week Trump himself announced via his Truth Social platform that he believed that he would be getting arrested on Tuesday of this week. It's interesting. Uh, he very openly tweeted it. He's or not tweeted it. I, I don't know exactly what the verb is for when you do it on Truth Social. Maybe truthed it. <laughs> I'm not sure. But he he reported this to his followers and that sparked a lot of speculation about what it is that's going to be happening and as you know more information unfolded we were realizing that trump was talking about an investigation being done by the manhattan district attorney's office and this has been an ongoing probe for a while now uh let's get some facts of the case so what is this probe about. Uh, Basically, 
in the lead up to the 2016 election, there was a lot of things that were being reported, a lot of things that were coming out. So Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump had a lot on their plate and they wanted to keep things as simple as possible. So right now, uh, what the case that we have in front of us is a uh, is an investigation into Trump's potential involvement in a $130,000 payment that was made to an adult film actress, Stormy Daniels, to keep her from going public uh, about an affair that he had, Trump had with her uh, uh, about a decade before the hush money payments were allegedly made. Uh, And this was facilitated not directly by Donald Trump. It was facilitated by his so-called fixer, Michael Cohen, Cohen who is a close associate of uh, former President Donald Trump. And so he has allegedly made these payments. But now what this probe is that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is looking in is looking into is uh, Trump's involvement in this. And I remember we were talking about this in the political world five years ago, back in 2018. I remember it was a big deal back then. And I do remember that some of it had boiled and fizzled uh, from time to time. There was talks of Trump resigning. Those were never serious um, because of this case anyway. But um, this w- I never thought <laughs> that this would be the case that would really, uh, you know, poop on Trump like that. But, you know, here we are. And so anyway... Uh, Cohen pleaded guilty to violating federal campaign finance law when it came to these payments. And they said that the illegal, these payments are illegal. Prosecutors have said these payments are illegal, but they never filed any charges against Trump. Now, with a new district attorney in office in Manhattan, they actually appear to be looking into this again. They began to look back into this case, and they seem to be looking at whether or not Trump committed any crimes um, in arranging, facilitating, or allowing for these payments to be made to Ms. Daniels. Now, that's the brunt of the, that's the meat of the case. uh, And that's pretty much what everyone should know about this case. There are a few more specifics about um, what it is that's going on, how these are going, how these are unfolding. But um, really, that's the, the, the main part of it. Now, this isn't necessarily the Manhattan District Attorney's um investigation that's gotten a lot of attention. It's more about the grand jury that's been convened to look at this. Now, for my Gov students that might be listening right now, a grand jury is different from a jury. Um, A jury is a group of nine of your peers written in the Constitution that determine whether or not you're guilty. A grand jury is similarly drawn up from a community, but they actually are not there to determine whether or not somebody's guilty or innocent. They're actually there to decide whether there's sufficient evidence to charge someone for a crime. So you're not necessarily determining whether or not somebody should be punished. You're just determining whether or not you can actually file the charges, and then that can be heard in court later. Grand juries are a no- novelty of the federal court system, and they're everywhere in other states. Um, and they're closed to the public. We're not allowed to see or hear anything. And that's just in the best interest of keep maintaining the privacy of the jurors. Now, these grand jury, this grand jury specifically has 23 people, and we need 12 people to be able to indict somebody or, you know, look further into this. Um, 
this grand jury has been looking at this case for a while. And the biggest question that's been, you know, that's been revolving around this case is whether or not a president can actually be indicted. And simple, simply put, yes, a president can legally, yes, be indicted for a crime. But you don't indict a sitting federal president or a sitting president. And it's never actually been the case where we've indicted a president. So former President Donald Trump does not enjoy any protections, uh, if you will, when it comes to his protection from an indictment because he's no longer president. So they didn't put anything when Cohen was charged. Trump was still president. They didn't issue any indictments against him then because he was president. Now that he's been out for a while, they are looking back into it. And it seems like even according to Trump's own admittance uh, that perhaps they might actually indict him uh, and that there might there might be more in, than we than we really know about what's going on. And, and possibly speaking, this could really make history. It's interesting to think that this case, though, of all cases, has made it this far. And the political ramifications of something like this are mind-boggling. And there have been different views on this. Many people on the right, when they've been looking at this issue, uh, mainly on Fox News, they've said that this is actually going to be helping the president. This is giving him more media attention. This is giving him more publicity. Um, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, a longtime ally of the former president, said that maybe this DA's investigation has done more to help Donald Trump to get elected. Don't forget that Donald Trump's also running for president right now a third time to go back to the White House. Um, there's a lot of other um, political ramifications. Many on the left are saying, oh, my God, this is so disappointing. We're seeing a former president getting indicted for something. Oh, my goodness. Um on the right, we're seeing outrage. We're, we're furious. How dare you do this? This is a former president. This is insulting. It's, it's, it's normal Trump-level discourse that you see all the time. You have one right. You have one left. No one agrees. Everyone has the same viewpoint but different emotions. Um, as for other 2024 contenders, former or not former, President Biden has not said much about uh, this case. He stayed out of it. Smart move on that part. Uh, but Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, probably one of Trump's biggest rivals when it comes to the 2024 Republican nomination, has come out against this. He's called the DA's investigation a, quote, Soros-backed um, investigation, referring, of course, to millionaire donor to Democrats, uh, George Soros, who did, in fact, donate, I think, around $500,000 to the current Manhattan District Attorney. Uh, many are saying in, on the right that this is a politically charged in investigation and that it's a sham and it's targeting President Trump. You know, you're free to do your research on this case and determine it yourself, but it's still within the extent of the law for the district attorney to do that. Not necessarily me saying whether or not it's valid, but legally speaking, the district attorney can do what he's doing right now and that grand jury can totally indict Donald Trump if they feel like he needs to be. Uh, other 2024 contenders like Mike Pence have also come out and condemned it. Um, so in general, when you're looking at the political ramifications, there isn't much surprise. Um, 
and and I don't think that there's um, anything notable how this might affect the 2024 race overall. Maybe it might not affect the Republican primary, might actually benefit Trump. But when you're looking at a general election, that's where it gets a little more murky because on one hand, you might have swing voters who might be turned off by another issue with the president's legal legal sagas. But on the other hand, you might have more fired up supporters that that might be willing to go out and defend Donald Trump or might feel like this is an attack on them. This is the political psychology that you want to read into in a general election. Um, it's hard to tell because we're so far out. But my bet is that this would probably actually not be in favor of Donald Trump. I don't think that an investigation into me about alleged hush money payments is going to be something that excites voters, that appeals to swing voters in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. You need to be able to appeal to them as a common folk. And when you come across the way that you are right now with the legal, in, with this type of investigation, it seems a little odd and it's, it doesn't seem like the right political palette. Um, and don't forget that this isn't the only investigation that Trump is facing. He has a lot more on his plate. Uh, there's the Mar-a-Lago um, raid that happened back in August last year when Trump's house was raided for classified documents that he was holding on to. Federal officials are looking into the January 6th riot. Um, and they're also, and then a Ful, uh, Fulton County District Attorney in Georgia is investigating whether or not Trump tried to obstruct with the election process when it came to the certification of the 2020 election. Many of us have now heard that infamous um, phone call between the Secretary of State and Trump. There are so many things that are going on with Donald Trump. This, though, is either. This closes the lid on all of the other cases, or this is just opening that lid, and we're starting to see more come out. Donald Trump's legal woes are going to have to be watched, and we're going to have to pay attention to whether or not anything happens. As for an actual indictment, we're still waiting for one. Um, we've been waiting since Saturday after President Trump announced it. Um, we've gotten nothing yet. They've delayed grand jury meetings for a few days in a row now. Um, apparently, they got last-minute testimony as well. But if an indictment happens, we'll bring it right to you. Subscribe to the show.com to be on top of all of this because you deserve to know. Um, and we'll see next week if maybe by next week's episode we're talking about an indicted President Trump. All right. So that was a look at this week's top story with President Trump's legal woes. When we come back from the break, I'll be joined by District 211 School Board member Peter Dombrowski. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short, short break. All right, so we're back from the break. Now, voter participation is important at every level of government, the federal level, the state level, and especially the local level, as we come closer and closer to our school board elections here in the Palatine-Schaumburg area. And we have made it a mission here at the Ishan S. Show to have as many board candidates come to speak to you, my audience, and get their positions out there for everyone to hear. 
I'm so happy to have a current board member join us today to discuss his positions on the biggest issues in this campaign and to talk about more. So for our, our guest for today's episode, we're for, for our today's episode, we are joined by current board member Peter Dombrowski. Uh, Mr. Dombrowski, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ashine. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Before we get into today's interview, why don't you take a few moments to uh, introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Um, I am a licensed structural and professional engineer. That's what I do during the day. I, I work with architects and other engineers to design bridges and buildings. Uh, I have three children. My oldest has graduated from Conan High School and he's currently attending NIU. I have a daughter who's a junior and a son who's also a freshman at Conan High School currently. I've been serving the community for the last eight years as a uh, member of the Board of Education. Uh, for the future, my vision is to see uh, continued rigor in education at District 211 um, to continue its transparency so that parents can be engaged and involved at all levels of the district and to maintain fiscal stewardship of taxpayer dollars. Those are my three primary focuses. Perfect. And I'm sure these are what have guided you in your time. So you've been on the board for a while. You just mentioned the eight years. Uh, let's go back a few years. I like to ask this question to all my candidates that come on the show. Um, what got you into, into politics? What got you to run for this seat uh, that you hold right now? Uh, well, that's a great question. Originally, I had another parent at the grade school level where my son and, and his son were engaged together, um, not engaged like a marriage engagement, but uh, they had the same class. So we would talk and he brought up an email that he received uh, from a group called Citizens for Accountability. And I offered to get involved. I thought I'd be walking some precincts, delivering some material. And after talking to the group, they asked if I would be willing to run as a candidate. And they felt that my background and knowledge of, of state policy and um, my conservative fiscal principles aligned well with, with what their goals were. So they supported me and, and helped me get elected in 2015. I see. And um, would you say you've had a nice time on the board in your eight years there? Um, it's been it's been a challenge. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I thought that I'd just go in uh, focused on policy and finances and a lot of social issues have have come up and uh, kind of challenged the community from from both sides of the the aisle. I mean, yeah, we will get into those issues a little further into the uh, interview. Uh, but even when you did run back then, I'm sure you got asked this question, but and I, you did mention your experience in uh, with state policy, but what other experience would you list as uh, something that boosts your profile as a candidate in this race and I, previously as well? Um, my understanding of building facilities, I, I spent some time on a committee for, for our facilities, having a knowledge of the engineering, the, the costs that go in, uh, looking at the constructability of things and, and stages and, and even just other districts and, and how they handle building projects or, or facility improvements uh, that I believe that's been an asset to the district as, as we've been looking at uh, eliminating our life safety bonds and, and some of those uh, more applicable visual type of, of uh, changes in the district. 
Interesting. Um, it's not, I mean, not everybody has that kind of experience. So that's interesting to note and interesting to have that on the board. Um, but let's get into some politics. That's what my listeners love. Um, sure. So uh, you're running in a race with 13 uh, other candidates, of which only four of you are actually going to be sitting on the board after the April 4th election. And so with races like these, it's all about the issues and it's about making yourself, uh, differentiating yourself from the pack. So um, what would you say is the biggest issue or maybe the biggest issues of this campaign? I think it's, uh, well, first, I just want to make a correction. There's only 12 of us that'll be on the ballot. One of the candidates, uh, Jen Wee, she she actually withdrew officially. She submitted the notarized documentation. So she's she's off the ballot. She was originally in the one spot. Um, with her withdrawal, I move up. I'm, I'm the first name on the ballot. As far as issues moving forward, everybody uh, across the board is focused on that property tax bill when they get it. When I first moved to Schaumburg in 2020, uh, 2001, the property tax for my home was around $3,500 for the year. Now it's closer to 8500 So it's jumped quite a bit. Uh, and then, you know, there's accountability and value. So everybody's looking at the academic performance. We did have issues with COVID, but when you look at the state average and our performance, we're not really uh, exceeding the state average by leaps and bounds. And we have a, a significant investment in our students. So when you compare the cost of educating a student in District 211 versus performance, it's not really there. So a lot of a lot of parents are asking, hey, you know, what are you doing to improve the value? How are you using your ESSER funds? How are you getting additional support academically or for the students? Additionally, the teachers union is involved in this election. They're they're supporting candidates. They've come out to forums. They they've uh, expressed concern with the amount of students in a class or, or classroom sizes. Those weren't things that were part of the teacher's contract when it was opened up for negotiations. So there is kind of a perception there that the board is dictating, but as far as agreeing to what is negotiated during a contract, that that takes both sides. So if, if neither side wants to open up the language related to class sizes or, or counselor to student ratio, may not get discussed. And so um, what do you think sets you apart from uh, the tw uh, 11 other competitors of yours? Uh, that's a great question. I think I have some pretty thick skin. I've heard a lot of a lot of yelling at board members at board meetings. I maintain a courteous, uh, respectful dialogue with anyone that wants to speak with me. I'm an open book. I respond to community members and, and parents that reach out and want to discuss issues. Uh, I've always been available and, and I think that's important. I, I've seen board members come and go who believe that their only job is to do the business and to hire the superintendent and everything else falls under that superintendent responsibility as if they're the CEO running a, a large corporation. But we are the community representation. We are the, the members of the community that hold the superintendent accountable and we also set the strategic planning so if we want to see improvements it it's up to the board to set those goals for the for the superintendent administration to reach now you mentioned uh the yelling um you know if you read local local newspapers and uh, headlines 
the District 211 board meetings, and not just District 211, but anywhere you look these days, school board meetings are getting incredibly heated. And, you know, they're getting incredibly heated. And I think that's been a bit of a concern in some of the conversations that I've had with other members of the board, as well as other members of the public. So if what have you done in your time there on the board? And what do you intend on doing in the future to help lower the temperature to make school board meetings the same old dull meetings that we once knew them to be. Right. And that's, I I think it's, you have to be able to have a bit of a dialogue. I've attended Village of Schomburg board meetings where Mayor Larson at the time and, and uh, a couple of the trustees actually respond at a board meeting. The only reason that we have this decorum on a school board meeting is, is we're following recommendations from the Illinois Association of School Board. The IASB is a lobbyist organization that we pay tens of thousands of dollars to belong to. And they talk about making board meetings effective. And the way that they instruct and train new board members is that you don't have a dialogue with the community. You meet the legal limits of the, the law by allowing community to address the board three minutes, five minutes, and then you move on with business. Because if you start interacting with the community, it could slow down moving forward uh, approval of, of budgets and, and having presentations and doing awards. So what I've done in the past is I've participated in the budget and finance committee meeting, which was open. We had great dialogue with the community. We were able to reduce our IRMF liability turned $20 million worth of deficit into $63 million worth of assets. We were able to also provide direction regarding the reserves and, and working towards lowering that, and also to eliminate any bonds and debt that we were carrying for the life safety and utilize the reserves to, to pay for capital and operations and maintenance um, all lumped into one. I think it's important that we open up some of our committees to the public without having it be invite only. I think it creates an echo chamber when we solicit contribution from the community on a invitation only basis. Uh, I don't think that really helps get a variety of opinions. Uh, and that, that would be something that I think would help bring the temperature down. I think having uh, people in the community be able to come somewhere, be heard, be acknowledged for that. When I first came on the board, we weren't even saying thank you to people that were giving three to five minute um, comments. We, we weren't recording the board meetings. Those are things that, that I've pushed for, advocated, and, and successfully seen uh, you know, as implemented into the, into the district uh, current board, uh, I guess, uh, into the practices. Right. So you'd say increasing access to community members might be uh, a nice way to put it. Yeah, in a nutshell, being able to, to go back and forth and, and be able to acknowledge and, and just say thank you. And that's an important part. I mean, honestly, I don't think enough people know. I mean, especially with my younger listenership, I don't think enough people know that you can actually go to those board meetings and interact with your board. So um, probably ed increasing education on that and getting the word out there that, hey, you can even come to these meetings, I think would be important. So I think that is an important point that, uh, that you're making here uh, about increasing the dialogue with uh, the community. Uh, now, speaking of those uh, speaking of those types of interactions, um, 
There are people in this race that you obviously might disagree with on some matters of policy. And um, we've had multiple candidates on the show already. We had Aiden Brands, who said that uh, he would not necessarily work with um, some board members if he were to get elected with them, should he disagree with them. And Minal Diwan said that she would try to find common ground, but ultimately would hold up her own priorities. So I put the same question to you. If uh, you are to get elected in a few weeks alongside some people that you may not necessarily agree with or get along with, um, what what types of issues are you willing to work with them on? Um, and what types of uh, consents or what types of conclusions are you willing to come to them, come with them? Oh, I'm I'm willing to work with anyone. Um, I've, you know, in the last 25 years as part of my career, I've had to work with architects um, and they, and Ed Young was a board member. And, and obviously as an engineer, I see things very black and white and I don't really appreciate the artistic aspect as much as I do the, you know, the safety aspect. Um, but there's always compromise. I think that we can do things, we can work together, we can achieve common goals and, and we can help each other reach our individual goals. I, I know that the priorities for Palatine High School may not necessarily be the same priorities for Frem High School. And that doesn't necessarily mean that one has to benefit and the other has to suffer. We can find ways where, where both would benefit. You know, the goal is to lift everyone, all students up, and to have all seven board members heard at the board table. I will never try to shut someone down that that's making a valid point. I may try to help them get to their point and conclusion um, in an expedited way for the sake of time. But at the end of the day, I, I think everyone uh, should be heard. I mean, Mr. Rosenblum wanted to see uh, check rebates uh, issued for the land sale. I, I was in agreement with him. Four other board members weren't. And so the question had to be asked, is there enough support to do this? Um, and there wasn't. It, it wasn't trying to shut them down. It was just trying to expedite the process before we had our administration dedicate a lot of resources. Um, I would change the board policy where we have to put items on the agenda a month before through consensus. I would I would try to get agenda items um, through the board president in an expedited fashion, and I would open that up for all board members. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much willing to work with anybody, willing to talk to anyone. Um, and I hope that, you know, uh, that's reaffirmed by, by reaching out to you and getting, getting on your podcast. Right, right. Um, and so are there any issues that are just totally off the table for you? Like we asked uh, Minal Diwan, or excuse me, uh, Aiden Brands a few weeks ago, he did say that there were a few issues that were completely off the table for him. Are there any that you would list or is everything on the table for you? Everything's on the table until we have a discussion and I see where they're, where they're coming from, what their goal is. You know, I mean, we hear about book banning right now, and there's a, a push to label some conservative members of the community as being extremists. But I think it's not necessarily books that, that are uh, the issue or the content. It's what's appropriate at what age, and maybe some of those things need to just be restricted um, until they're available for someone of the appropriate age. So. You hear a lot of people trying to rationalize that by saying, oh, they can go on the internet and they can find this. Well, that well, that's true for a three-year-old that you hand your cell phone to or, or a five-year-old or even a seven-year-old. You know, you just got to 
be responsible and ensure that the appropriate channels are in place and you know who's responsible for overseeing the students and the individuals that are um, accessing things. Um, libraries won't pull out uh, explicit or obscene material and hand it to a young patron. They're, they're, they have some discretion there. So I think everything's on the table to discuss and, and to respond appropriately and to make sure that we all understand what's in the best interest of the community and the students and the teachers. Um, and that's why we're there. Otherwise, we might as well just elect the superintendent and allow them to um, just implement whatever policies that individual sees fit. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, my next question, um, it is something that you have talked about. And I think based on what you've said so far, you do have some extensive experience in it. But uh, school board level politics is a lot about the money. Uh, it's about how we see it funneled around the district. And as a District 211 student myself, I've seen how sometimes we might not see money going to the places where they might need to go. So uh, I wanted to hear your perspective on uh, how money is going to be allocated, what your priorities are, where you think money should be going, uh, and what you're going to do about the money issues in general that our district is facing. I think that's a big conversation right now um, in this race about revenue and funding that we just sometimes don't even have to get around. Oh, uh, I think we have plenty of funding. Um, I've looked at the last oh, 10 years. Um, even last year, we had $15 million surplus. So we, we had $15 million more than what we needed, you know, knew what to do with. So as we move forward, it, it really is just making sure that the priorities are, are there. And as a school board, our goal is to set the targets. And it's up to the superintendent's team to come up with how to get to those targets. Um, if they feel that they don't have enough money to reach that target, then they, they need to come to us. Um, with regard to prioritizing things, that all goes into the superintendent's contract, that goes into the strategic plan, and it's worked out from there. So the community has a voice in the strategic plan, the, the board has a voice with the superintendent's goals. I, I don't think that any board member will micromanage. Um, but I, I do think if students are, are feeling that there are certain areas that are underfunded, then, um, you know, a letter or some sort of outreach to emphasize that would, would be beneficial. But currently, I've seen no, um, no outreach regarding that. Um, all of our sports teams have adequate equipment. We've upgraded the pools. We've spent $25 million. It wasn't that the pools were uh, in disrepair. It's just they weren't long enough to be competitive. So we increased the length of the pools, and, and now they meet the IASH standards so that we can have competitions there. Um, all of our tracks and our football fields have been upgraded. Everybody has a one-to-one -one iPad device that they can utilize. Uh, all of our textbooks, for the most part, are now software versions, and, and we pay for the copyright licenses for those. Um, but if you can think of something where there's a deficiency in funding from the district level, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. Um, I mean, that's a conversation that I'd be excited to have as well. I mean, in prepping for these interviews, I do consult some uh, teachers as well as students sometimes. And... They have listed it, but I'm very glad that you plugged in that um, that point about communicating with the board. Um, 
again, I don't think people, enough people know it. Like you can go up to the board, you can go, you can reach out to the people responsible for this and say, hey, I don't think we got this money. I don't think we have this. Can you please work on something to help that out? So thank you uh, for mentioning that. And so to all the people listening right now that have come to me personally, as well as uh, reached out via email talking about this, I would suggest you do the same thing that Mr. Dombrowski just suggested. Uh, reach out to your board, talk about those deficiencies and uh, make your voice heard. Um, but that does kind of that does kind of move me into the next question, um, which is more about the students. Um, so what are some ideas or plans, policy ideas, what have you, uh, that you have to empower students or to at least, you know, to, to, to bring student, um, uh, to bring a student's voice to the, to the board meetings? Um, because much of my listenership is a high school student audience. We have a lot of under 18 people, but some of these people are actually going to be voting for you in a few weeks. So what are some ideas that you want to introduce to empower our students here in District 211? Uh, well, that's that's a good question. I've tried to advocate to have a student member on the board, a non-voting position, but somebody who can chime in during discussions and and who can provide some, some insight when we do have discussions on topics. Um, the, the challenges with five high schools, how do you select one? I would be open to having a rotating uh, board member that is uh, a student representative and would be part of uh, a lot of our open session discussions. I, I don't necessarily think it would be appropriate for them to be in closed session because we do discuss some student discipline and that can that can be a challenge um, with keeping some of the discipline reports confidential. Yeah. I think that would be a great way to do it. I also think that we could also have a secondary um, committee where the board has an open committee with just students and parents. Um, that would be great. We tried that on Saturday. We had some parents come out, but you know everybody's got a very busy schedule, myself included. So it's it's difficult to find a time that's ideal for everyone. But I could see something like that working out, where it is again an open uh, board of the whole that just meets. Maybe we have coffee and cake, and and everybody is able to sit down and and discuss things. The only challenge we have is that we have to have a agenda and somebody has to keep minutes and it has to be posted 48 hours before. That's it. The Village of Schomburg does a coffee with the council on Saturday mornings where they have a quorum and they invite people to express their concerns and they have a bit of a discussion. They record the minutes, they post it, and they, they meet the intent of the law with regards to the Open Meetings Act. It's, it's being done in other places. We, we could easily implement that. And if we wanted, we could make that a, a student-focused type of uh, committee. That's a nice idea, actually. Um, I know people that uh, have mentioned things like that before, so it's nice to hear that coming from a board member, actually. So I, I look forward to hearing more about whatever that might entail. So, uh, But Mr. Dombrowski, uh, we are unfortunately out of time. So before I let you go, are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to share with my audience? Yes, just uh, please come out and vote. Early voting starts in March, uh, March 20th. And Schomburg, it's at the Trickster Gallery. and Palatine, it's at the Village Hall. Uh, I also think that the uh, um, Hoffman Estates will also be at their Village Hall. So please come out and vote early. April 4th election, vote at your local precinct. And stay engaged. Continue to 
look for the issues and the candidates and, and do some research and uh, be patriotic and do your civic duty by coming out and, and casting your, your selections for who you want to represent you on the Board of Education. Perfect. Thank you for that message again. Um, joining us today, current board member of District 211 and running for re-election, Peter Dombrowski. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ashan. Have a, have a wonderful day. Thank you. And so that does it for us here today at the Sean S. Show. If you like my commentary, then go ahead and follow the Sean S. Show on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news posts and updates about the show. And if you want to learn more about political stories, then check out my political news blog on the Show.com and go ahead and subscribe to it. Do us a favor and share this episode and all your other favorite episodes with your friends and family. It's the best way for this show to grow and get more people listening to it. Thanks again for all your support, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.